If you look on PubMed, there's thousands of articles on how just simply fasting can help improve your outcome for chemotherapy, make those cytotoxic effects just more selective to cancer cells versus the healthy cells. There's actually a study saying that for women with breast cancer who fasted for 13 hours every night had a 70% reduction in breast cancer reoccurrence just by fasting. And they didn't even look at what these women were eating. Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think, feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. Welcome to episode 243 of the Anthropology Podcast. Today, I'm joined by an incredible naturopathic doctor who has actually been dedicating most of her career over the last 12 years to working with patients with cancer. She doesn't just help manage their care. She helps build a life that enables them to thrive, to coexist with cancer. A huge amount of her work is to help patients change their perspective on what it means to have cancer and how do you live in a meaningful way? How do you add health despite also simultaneously managing a disease? She's got an incredible process and approach and a truly holistic capacity to look at health in the face of a disease that is going to touch all of us in some capacity in our lives. It is truly my pleasure to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Dr. Lori Bouchard. Dr. Lori Bouchard, welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. Hi, Dr. Megan. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited. I am delighted to have you here. I've been listening to your message for so long, and um, I think it's it's really such an important and compelling conversation. And I want to set everybody up. I know I set this up in the in the intro, but um, we're gonna we're gonna have a deep dive talking about the coexistence of living your best life and cancer and how we integrate these two words and these two ideas. Um, and before we do that, uh, Lori, I'm wondering if you can give us a bit of a background on you. You're a two-time author. You are working with patients in this realm. You've got a ton of experience. We want to hear your story. Sure. Okay. So I graduated as a naturopath about 12 years ago. Um, never did I think I would dig deep into cancer care. That was kind of like the last realm that I thought I would I would deal with. I thought it was depressing. I thought it was discouraging. You know, they're looking for a cure and spending billions of dollars for all these years and how far have we got? And nearly everyone has been impacted by cancer in some way. And what they say is the stats are one out of every two people will be diagnosed with cancer. So we know that it's going to be in our lives one way or the other, whether it's someone we love or for ourselves. Um, so when I first graduated, that's when I saw my first cancer patient who was written off. He was given a month to live. He came in in a wheelchair, was totally like, this is my last resort. I'm seeing an naturopath as my last resort. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's really great. Thank you for that, that pressure. But anyways, he was the one who completely changed my perspective on cancer. He um, 
he was he did all the chemo, all the radiation, everything his doctors told him. And his wife brought him in in the wheelchair and he said, I'm not ready to go. I'm not ready to die. I need to be here to see my grandchildren be born in December. I need a few more months at least. So like anything you can do, that's, I just, I need your help to do that. So then here I am like 24 years old, fresh out of school thinking like, okay, let me learn everything I can. And I didn't, the interesting thing is I never even looked at it as a cancer. I looked at it as a person. Okay. What is happening in his body where it's failing him? So we know he's been blasted with drugs, medications, his gut microbiome is off, his hormones are off, he's probably full of heavy metals. So I took that realm, that perspective, and it was so interesting with him, month by month, he just kept getting stronger. We we tested him for, um, for heavy metals, he was full of lead, and that's why he couldn't build up his hemoglobin, so he needed transfusion after transfusion. But once we started doing just like very gentle chelation, like there's so many things that we did that it opened my eyes like, wow, no one ever even told him how to eat or to go to bed before midnight. Like there's so many simple foundational things that he was never even told and I was his last resort. So that, so that made me think, okay, so maybe cancer isn't so scary. There's a lot that we can do where people can actually live with cancer for a long time, do all these things. So this patient ended up living eight years longer, wow. almost a decade longer. And he lived with cancer. So he knew that he was always doing things to support his body, but he knew that it was just a new way of life. So he was able to see four more grandchildren be born. He was able to go golfing in the spring. Like he was able to be with his family and his loved ones. So for him, it was almost a decade longer than what the medical system wrote off as palliative and you're done. So that that's my story as far as like how I got into cancer and why I'm just so inspired by the people that do reach out and they say, I'm not... I'm not okay with just being sent home to die. Like that's, there's gotta be other things. Well, and I think so many of us that have had this experience in naturopathic medicine, functional medicine, where people come to us and they're like, you, this is my last stop <laughs> on the journey. And one of the things I always found so fascinating is they spent the front half of their journey seeing a whole bunch of people who all had the exact same approach. They just, they just had different language that they would use. They just had, they just had a different, they literally had different names, but they, there was this one static consistent approach. And what I love about naturopathic medicine, obviously 250 mm -hmm. episodes in is that when we start to look at the root cause, what we realize is that every patient requires a different lens requires a different uh, starting point. So interesting what you said about this idea that, you know, once we found lead and we removed this previous obstacle to cure, the body started to know what to do. And so here's my, here's my question because cancer, I feel like one, we just have a ton of fear around that piece, but I'm wondering if you can just comment on your experience that once you start to remove obstacles to cure for a patient. Maybe you've changed their an element of their diet, maybe you've done testing and you've removed heavy metals. What does the body do then when it has cancer coexisting? Yeah, yeah, no that's a good question because a lot of people who are diagnosed with cancer, they they hear the word cancer, they think it's a death sentence. They get they do everything that their their oncologist tells them to do and they just feel like, okay, I'm attacking this tumor now, I need to cut it out, burn it out, do all those things, but really there's so so much more that we can do for the body so it's almost like looking at cancer as a process it's not something that just popped up overnight they don't the tumor didn't just arrive most tumors take eight to ten years to grow in the body so if we're looking at okay why did this person get cancer that's like the million dollar question that everyone wants to know so we can find that number one cure but we're not going to find that one 
cure or that one treatment that's really going to stop the growth of cancer because it really is a process. So I look at it as it's like five to 10% genetics. So we all have these um, kind of like what we're the blueprint we're born with, but then really 90% of it is the epigenetic part to the story. And so what, what we choose to eat every day, what toxicity we're around, even like the people that we hang out with, if we're around with really toxic, negative people, that is just as bad for our health versus someone who, I don't know, eats Big Macs every day. Like it's, it's really, and then they have the guilt over it or just like that mindset piece is huge. So even when it comes to the, the patient I was talking about, he had the strongest survivor mindset I've ever seen in my life. And since then, so 10 years or 12 years of helping people with cancer, that's like the number one thing where they say, I will do everything it takes to live a healthier life, mind, body, soul, spiritually. A lot of them have a strong faith. It's very, um, it's really amazing just to see what they can do with their life living with this cancer, but it's um, looking at all those aspects. It's so interesting what you say, because as you're talking, my brain just naturally builds analogies. And as you're talking and I'm looking at the traditional way of, of managing cancer, and I'm not putting judgment on that. I'm just talking about that as a, as an entity. And we're pretty all familiar with it, with radiation and chemo and surgery. And I really think of this as being akin to pruning the tree, right? The tree's not doing well. So let's cut this piece out and maybe we'll spray some stuff on it. And we'll like, we yeah. will address what we can see. And I really feel like so much of what we do as naturopathic doctors is, well, you can do all of that. And I am simultaneously going to attend to the soil so yeah. that the environment in which that tree is being asked to flourish and the environment in which that tree is being asked to heal is able to pull together and assimilate the appropriate nutrients that it needs. And, you know, my sentiment, and I'd love for you to comment on this, is that these two things work really well together. Yeah. They work well together. Can we, yeah. can you just talk about your philosophy in terms of an integrative approach to the management of cancer? Yeah. And it, it boggles my mind that that's not even just like a mainstream thing right now. Like if you look on PubMed, there's thousands of articles on how just simply fasting can help improve your outcome for chemotherapy, make those cytotoxic effects just more selective to cancer cells versus the healthy cells. There's actually a study saying that for women with breast cancer who fasted for 13 hours every night had a 70% reduction in breast cancer reoccurrence just by fasting. And they didn't even look at what these women were eating. So it's like, okay, if we talk about whole body approach, yes, still do chemo, still do radiation, still do all the things if it's warranted, but you have to do other lifestyle things as well, because you're right. Like you're just going to keep knocking the body down, pruning those trees, keep, they're going to shrivel away if you're not putting all the things back into the body. So like something just so simple as avoiding food for 13 hours a night, like that's, that should be mainstream medicine. Okay. Do that. And then even 24 hours before a chemo session, that'll improve your chemo outcome. So that, that should be integrated into mainstream or even um, what I hear most of the time too, a lot of doctors say, it doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter what you do. Don't go see a naturopath. They'd say, don't do vitamin C therapy. Don't do mistletoe. Don't do all these things until your chemo's done. And I think, wow, like it's, it's very like one or the other. So patients do feel confused and they feel conflicted, but the science is there. It's, it's there to integrate. Have you found oncologists who are open to working with you through this process? There is, in my time uh, in practice, there's three. <laughs> yeah. and, but when they are open to it, like what is their experience with this 
whole new layer of capacity that we're, we're giving their patients. It's interesting because there's many patients who will go back to their doctors and show their white blood cell count. They'll show what their neutrophils are like. And they're like, wow, that's amazing. You shouldn't be like, why are you, why do you have so much energy? Why do you have, and they want to know, but then they like really don't want to know. And they're like, oh, I'm doing a lot of things working my natural. And then it kind of just like, oh, that's great. But they don't really. So they're shocked. And you're like the one percentile of people who actually feel good throughout chemo. But then they don't ask like, okay, let's try. I think there's, there's gotta be regulations to that where maybe like when they find out too much, it's like, it's going to interrupt their board. I don't know. But yeah, it's very, um, they're intrigued, but not enough to say like, yeah, I'm going to recommend this to my patients. And I want to, I want to, talk through this on one more level. And then I want to get into the epigenetic pieces. Like I really want to remain solution oriented, but I think part of that is what I don't want to do is give people this idea of hope where they're like, Oh my gosh, like, this is amazing. What, what if I do the soil and prune the tree at the same time? And then they're like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know how to talk to my oncologist about that piece. What in your experience is the best way to approach uh, that conversation? So for patients who want to integrate and do yeah, both. Yeah. So, like, and it still boggles my mind because, like, what we do as naturopaths is not like brain surgery. It's really not. It's like the foundational of healthy living. So, when they say to their oncologist, like, I want to work with a naturopath, like, the way that I imagine that is okay, I'm working on cleaning up my diet, I'm working on helping my sleep, I'm helping anxiety, all the things. And so, if they're doctor has a problem and says, oh no, you need medications for your anxiety around cancer, then you need to kind of like scratch your head and say, okay, well maybe there's other things that my body's deficient in and there's things. So always digging deeper, asking those questions and too many patients, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but very compliant and don't question, right? And they just kind of do what they're told and the fear of like, if I don't do exactly this, but it's like, it's, we've lost the, um, the ability just to ask, like, is this actually the right thing for my body? Let's interview five doctors. Let's see what all these other doctors, what their opinions are versus just kind of putting your whole life into one, one path. And same with like, when you see five different naturopaths, I'm sure we practice very differently, five different oncologists, they all practice very di- or different opinions. So. Yeah. And I, I really want to emphasize for people that it is your absolute right to ask those, those questions that it is that it is your body and you want to know you're working with someone who philosophically is matching where you are at as well. And I've, I've commented a lot on this in the last few weeks, but I think part of the the challenge because I'm naturally always moving to the root cause is we actually just lack, we're, we're just illiterate to the language of health. We actually just, we don't know what to ask. And so we get into a situation where it's really serious and we just outsource it all to the authority that's sitting in front of us. We're really good at sort of defaulting to the authority in front of us. And if there's one thing we can, I can really encourage people to get out of this conversation. It's that, um, with a little bit of research and talking to the right people, you can really take back some of that authority and not compromise your health in the process. And I think that's a really key, a a really key piece. And, Mm -hmm. you know, on this notion of authority and this idea of control, I think we've really been taught that things happen to your body. And when things come up, why don't you just take a medication? Well, 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 will mask those symptoms and you can carry on uh, living. And as we've started to understand more and more about what's happening in our bodies, I promise I've got a question here, Lori. We move into this realm of epigenetics and epigenetics is so cool. It is this acknowledgement that the choices that we make in our life 
play this beautiful dance with our genetic predisposition. And I'm wondering, can you just speak first to what are we talking about when we say epigenetics? And then we're going to get into how it relates to cancer and cancer risk. Yeah. So epigenetics is really not looking at your genetic profile as, okay, I was born or I was born this way and cancer's in my family. I was just like doomed to have it. So for example, like with the BRCA1, BRCA2 gene, you're more likely to get cancer, but that's not your destiny. There's so many things that you can do to take a hold of how the environment plays a role in turning these genes on and off. So we have what are called tumor suppressor genes, um, high stress. So even having high cortisol shuts those genes right off. And so when your body is born to have, like we all have cancer cells, that's the reality of it. We all have cancer cells floating around. I remember there's a study showing that um, out of a thousand people who look to see for circulating tumor cells in the body, only one of them did not have cancer cells in their system. So just that alone right there, like we all have it, whether it's turned into a tumor or not at this point. It's So we have to look at how is our immune system focusing and getting rid of these enemies or these bag, these um, abnormal cells every single day. So if you're in like constant fight or flight every single day in like survival mode, go, 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 which I'm sure many entrepreneurs are, many mothers or even taking care of their parents and kids, like there's a lot to do. So you think about that. If we don't take time to kind of like sit back and 15 minutes to breathe, how can your body fight some or get rid of abnormal cells, whether that's bacteria, viruses, um, epigenetics, a big part of it too, is looking at why, why is cancer there in the first place? So we know H. pylori has been linked to stomach cancer. Um, Epstein-Barr virus is linked to lymphomas. Um, what are some of the other ones? HPV and cervical cancer. So it's looking at all of those triggers of, okay, what is distracting the immune and how are these cancer genes even turning on? So there is a bacterial role, there's viral role, there's even like glyphosates. You think of people who, I see a lot of golfers actually, a lot of people who are like first on the the uh, grains where there's a spray of um, all the pesticides. So mm-hmm. you think of like all the toxicity that we're just like swimming in. So what happens is over time, these mitochondria um, in our cells, like in the, the, um, the matrix of the cell become damaged. And they're saying deprive a cell of um, 30% of its oxygen for even 48 hours, that cell will become cancerous. So wow. really, when you think of like mitochondrial health and how that impacts cancer, it's huge, way more than what any genetic profile would be. Okay. So we're talking about genes. We are now inside the cell. So the, for those visual learners, and if you like can do what my brain does, where I feel like I'm on a Disney world ride, I'm like now in the cell. <laughs> can you, can we just talk a little bit about uh, the mitochondria, what they are, yeah. what they do in their role in cancer? Yeah. So there's, um, there were cell studies that were showing, because like, this is when they're trying to prove the somatic theory, like the genetic theory to cancer. There was, um, so healthy cells, if, if there's a healthy cell, but the genetic piece was cancerous, just say they move that genetic piece into an, um, into an unhealthy cell, that whole cell will become cancerous. So if it goes into a healthy cell where like the extracellular matrix, the mitochondria, all the surrounding fluid Great nine was, science, guys. was diseased, if it was unhealthy, that cancer cell would turn on versus it going into a healthy cell, that cancer cell, it would never become cancerous. It would turn off. 
So there's cell studies that show that then when they transfer the, the genetic component of it, it has that ability. So that extracellular matrix, the mitochondria, all of that plays a huge role in the turning on and off of these cancer genes. So contextualize that to this idea. I hear people say this all the time. Well, you know what, Megan, lovely to, to attend to my soil, but I know this guy and he ran every day and he ate really healthy and he did all these things and he still got cancer. So honestly, I'm just going to live my life. Can we contextualize the conversation we just had to that observation? Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting about that? A lot of these like triathlon runners, I'm sorry if you're one of them in the <laughs> listening, but it's a lot of stress on the body. So yeah. you're causing a lot of oxidative stress. And so if you're not balancing that with antioxidant levels and you're just like, even if you eat, because I look at that for myself too. It's like, I eat really great. I poop every day. I sleep really great. Like all these things. But like, you look at even the mind piece component of it. Like everyone has stress. So to say, like, if I got cancer, I wouldn't honestly even be that surprised. Like, there's things I need to change in my life as well. So when I see, like, oh, they got this because, and they're so healthy, that's so shocking. It's like, well, what did their mother have and their mother? Like, we go, we take our health from four generations back, right? And so if right. their mother was stressed while you're in the womb or around cigarette smoke or, I don't know, around they got four mercury fillings and now they're full of heavy metals. So, like, yeah, it sounds very, I, and I hear that all the time. It's like, I've been healthy my whole life. I don't get it. But when you dig deep, it's like, it's very hard to be healthy in, in a world that's, we're just like swimming in garbage. Yeah, it is really hard to be healthy. And so when, when you're working with someone and someone comes in and they're like, listen, like I have a family history of, of cancer. I want to be massively proactive. What are like the, the big rock items that you are looking yeah. at with respect to their health? Uh, so for sure, gut health. That's number one. I We have to look at what's going into our body, um, what medications they've been on, what antibiotics they've been on. So even just when someone's like, yeah, I go to the bathroom every single day, it's like, okay, well, what does that poop look like? Like, let's dig right. deep and see like what a lot of people don't even know. Like they're just like, yeah, I could have mucus. I don't know. They could have it. Like they just, they don't look. So gut health is a big one. Um, I also look at hormones. So that includes cortisol. We know estrogen is a huge driver for um, proliferating for cancer cells. So estrogen balance. And to be honest, a lot of people are just estrogen dominant that they're not even aware of either. So you think of um, everything that can contribute to estrogen, like mm -hmm. even like the receipts, like those, the paper receipts are endocrine disruptors, right? So things you don't even think, even if you're not on birth control. Um, so there's that one. Um, the other part I would say is the toxicity. We have to look at what pollutants were around, chemicals in the house, the the metals that we're surrounded by, um, body care, anything we're lathering on our body, anything we're breathing in. There's just that toxicity piece. Here's what I'm hearing is it's the things that happen to your body every single day that are of paramount importance, yeah. which was sort of, you know, I, di I didn't treat cancer in my practice, but I said to people when they came in, I don't care what you do three times a year. Like if you want to have tuna three times a year, I'm very confident that your body, unless you're an outlier, can handle that. If you're having tuna three to seven times a week, well, we need to talk about that. I got really obsessed and really granular with what's happening every single day inside their body. And I, like, I feel like what you're talking about here, we're looking at processes that are happening every single day inside someone's body. Exactly. And someone living with cancer too, 
I, I remember a patient the other day, she's like, oh, I had a cookie and I know that it was so bad and I felt so guilty about that and I know it's off my plan and I just thought, wow, I'm feeding cancer cells and I had that cookie. I'm like, eat the damn cookie. And then stuff. the guilt is actually worse right. than <laughs> what it's doing. So it's like, you're right. Like the one-off um, and depends like what phase you are in fighting cancer too, right? Like if you've been in remission for two years and you're doing things as the one-off, like that's so different than right. it's every day. Right. Talk to me about, I know there's a lot of questions around this and I get this question a lot. Um, the role of alcohol and we've like, we've had a challenging 24 months, 20 months. <laughs> I don't know what's where we're going to land on all of this piece. And I know that it is something statistically that has increased in consumption over that period of time. What's your perspective on alcohol and its contribution to increased cancer risk? So I see a lot of shockingly 20 year olds and 30 year olds with cancer in my practice wow. and like lately too a lot more like every second patient is a female in their 20s or 30s and so that's a really good question that they ask too They're like i just can't see myself never having alcohol again they see this like i show them what the research says and i say okay it does increase your risk of it coming back and i would never be the naturopath to say yeah have it a few times a week you're good like that's, that just wouldn't be the advice of a good naturopath. <laughs> um, but realistically, I hear what they're saying. I, I see like, okay, what is having like one at a social event? Like, is that the worst thing? Is that something that is going to make the cancer come back all of us or overnight? So I always recommend if you are to have any alcohol um, to limit the, like within a week, you want to have less than, if it's hard alcohol, an ounce, like you really limit it. But then even if you're having wines, like you want to do, um, make sure it's low sugar. You want to make sure there's not all the pesticides. I know the wine's coming from California. I think you just came back from California. <laughs> the wines are there, the most, the most pesticide sprayed. So looking at the country that the, the grapes are growing in too. Um, so looking for organic wines. So if you are to have alcohol, like choose the clean, the clean forms of it. Um, and then not in excess. Like that's something that I think if that's like a social thing for you or it's something once in a while, but like you said too, if it's every day to use to just relax at the end of the night, then we have to look at why. Okay, what else can we do? Let's just transition to this idea of, of coexisting with cancer and living with cancer and thriving uh, alongside its existence. When you're working with those patients, what does that look like? What does their lifestyle look like? What does their mindset look like? What is the focus that you are taking when you're working with those patients in that phase of their care? Yeah. So everything that we talked about, like it's a lot just to kind of like spew at someone from in a first initial visit. Like I do spend like 90 minutes on the initial visit, but they feel like a, a fire hose in their face. Like it's a lot of information for them to take in and just to adapt overnight. So what we've done in the clinic here is we've created more of a, it's a retreat style healing center where we actually um, over COVID, like so before COVID, people would fly in. Um, call they would it BC. Spend, pardon me? BC, before COVID. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so BC, it was, yeah, people would fly in from all, over, from all over North America and they would rent out the condos above the clinic here and they would stay for the week. We would do all like nine to five healing where they would embrace themselves and what it takes, like what they should be eating every day. It's total, complete, um, accelerated healing plan. We do all the IVs, the colonics, all the testing, all the things. Um, and it's interesting how COVID changed the dynamic of how I practice too, because 
we would put people into like 16 hours intermittent fasting. And for people who've never done that before, like their bodies were in shock by the Wednesday. They're just like, this is so hard. And mentally, physically, it was a lot. And so what's happened over the past year and a half is I changed that one week intensive to be more of like an eight week program where people can slowly lean into talk about insulin resistance and how we can make you not such a sugar holic and how we can change the diet. And so we're weaning people into it. So when they do come in for the accelerated healing retreat, they come out so much stronger. Their ketones are through the roof. Their sugar levels are down. Their liver enzymes are down. Like we take objective measures beginning and end of the week and the way that their body adapts and they feel so much stronger. It almost like gives them that kickstart to say, wow, I can feel good even though I have cancer. So then after the retreat, they keep going with those lifestyle changes. Whereas before the retreat, they're like, oh, I'm so tired. I can't even imagine making a juice every day or I can't even imagine any, right? It's a different mindset. You hit the nail on the head there because when you're trying to deliver transformation, it doesn't matter whether we're transforming someone's business or we're transforming their their health. When you're in it and there's the flurry of life and you're in reaction mode, it is almost inconceivable to picture making these significant changes and transitions in your life. And when you hit pause and create space to hit pause on those elements and you go deep on the potential of making these changes, it's amazing what can happen. I, I love your approach because it's so congruent with how we work as humans. Yeah. We're not trying to force an approach on a way we already live. You like, you're really hitting pause on, um, on how they're living life, which I suspect is a huge part of the amazing results that you're getting with your patients. Exactly. And it's nice when they do come in for the retreat, they don't have to stress. Like that's a big part. Like the staff takes care of everything. So we basically say like, here, drink this here, take this here. Are you ready for your next acupuncture appointment? Like we, we, they literally lie down and just, we do everything for them. So that's part of the healing too. And then when they're feeling stronger, they're like, wow, okay, now I can actually integrate all of these things on their own. Amazing. I like it done for you. Healing. It is awesome. And I feel, I feel like this is a really perfect time to transition the nature of our questions and conversations. So just like we have KPIs in our business, I believe we have them in how we live our life as well. So I've got some questions about you that I'm going to throw your way. First question, Dr. Lori, has there been a book or idea in 2021 that is just, that's really hit you, that's that's forced you to change how you look at the world? So I had the lucky opportunity to meet Marianne Williamson and reading her book, A Return to Love. I actually started digging deep into that and A Course in Miracles. I I read a little bit, a few pages even every night before bed. And that, it just takes your mindset out of um, the thinking future and past and all the things that we kind of get heavy weighed down by. So that one just puts you back into um, what's really important. So that's a, a Return to Love by Marianne Williamson is what I would say. Amazing recommendation. What is your favorite health hack? gotta be fasting like it's the cheapest and the easiest like it's it's there's so much research on it and it's it's yeah and if someone's like thinking oh 16 hours of fasting that's so hard start with 12 start with 10 like start with wherever you're at and push it by half an hour every night or every week like whatever you can do but fasting is my favorite love it how would you define your purpose changing the world (laughs) mission to help people realize like it's there's our body is phenomenal and amazing. So it's um, my purpose is really spreading that message and helping people uh, realize how powerful they are. 
Amazing. And last question for you, entrepreneurism, are we born this way or do we learn to become entrepreneurs? Are we born crazy or do we born <laughs> crazy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I would say, oh, I think learn. You've got, I think like who you're around as a young kid and who you're you, what your environment was like, and you just kind of learned, do you want to be a risk taker and do you want to do all the things or do you like, it's that safety component. I think it's learned. It's epigenetic. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've been searching for this for a while. I'm like, there we go. We figured it out. Dr. Lori Bouchard, you're doing such amazing things in the world. Where can we send people to learn more about what you're up to? So you can go to drlori.ca, D-R-L-O-R-I.ca. And I'm actually going to be offering my next book, Cancer Doesn't Own You, for free on that site. So if you are interested, you can download that book for free. Fantastic. Well, we will hook everyone up in our show notes. You can find those by heading over to meganwalker.com forward slash podcast, and you will see Lori's episode there. Dr. Lori Bouchard, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Megan. That was fun. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I hope all of you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I, I really appreciated this idea of how do we attend to the soil. And I know I use that analogy, but Lori's just so good in her process and through her retreats at really being able to attend to those elements and make it easy for people to start to implement, easy for people to start to make those changes. And what I truly appreciate as a practitioner, as someone who's had countless conversations with patients over the years who are managing cancer or managing other conditions with naturopathic medicine or functional medicine adjacent to traditional care, I really appreciate that she is providing a language and a safe space for those two elements of your care to coexist together. And this really is going to be the new frontier of health health and healthy living and, and disease management, because it's not just enough for us to manage the manifestation of disease. We are truly going to have to start to acknowledge and create language and have conversations around how we simultaneously work towards building health, not just fine, not just your disease is in remission, let's cross our fingers and watchfully wait, but actually build health in that in-between process. And that's where when you can have really credible, well-trained people who are all part of your care team, that's when we start to see the shifts in people's health the most. And I will just share for those practitioners who are part of our audience participating in this, you know, my underlying core belief in life and all that I do in an entrepreneurial realm is that when people have their health, they can change the world. When that gentleman that Lori talked about, who, you know, was told that he's moving into a palliative scenario and then live for another eight years, he can, he can have influence on his grandchildren's lives and on his family's lives. That's what I'm talking about by, by changing the world. And for us to be able to do that, for us to be able to reach those patients, for us to have have language and a capacity for people to feel comfortable moving into and trying out new systems of medicine. We need, we need processes in place within our practice and our business. We need a system to market is the wrong word, but to educate audiences around the value that we bring to the table, not as an alternative, but as an equal member of their team. And so I know I've talked about this over the last few weeks, but I really want to invite practitioners to join us in this movement that we are really looking to create in this world, this idea that we 
build strong practitioner educators. And we are doing this at our event, Impact Lives. This is the fourth year that we've run Impact Lives. It will be 100% virtual, 100% amazing. We've got incredible speakers who are talking about uh, marketing, marketing strategies, marketing tactics. How do we build our story? How do we talk about who we are and our passions in in life? How do we create a, a sales process that doesn't feel icky for us, that feels um, really authentic and in alignment with the work that we want to do in the world. We are providing all of these pieces, the entire system, we're going to build it out over the course of the event at Impact Lives. And if you feel compelled to share a message, if you want to reach more people, if you want to have more impact on people's lives, see what we did there, then I'm going to invite you to join us. You can learn more about Impact Lives by coming to Impact Lives event dot com and we will see you there for everyone else we will hang out together again next week in the meantime have an amazing and impactful few days ahead